It was an interesting gospel to reflect on, especially as I'm thinking about the person who gave me this flu bug. <laughs> and I'll bet you thought you're not going to get a sermon this weekend, but you are not that lucky. Our gospel reading continues with the Sermon on the Mount with what is arguably the most radical changes Jesus calls for, not only in the behavior of his disciples, but in how his disciples should think. Jesus recites what is commonly called the Law of Talion. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was a very ancient concept established in Babylonian legal codes. It was designed to ensure that the one who was injured could exact the same penalty by having the injurer suffer the same infliction that was imposed upon him. And very often the offender was allowed to compensate the victim through money or the transfer of possessions that the two parties agreed would be the equivalent in value of the injury. This ancient law had a significant positive effect. It put limits on revenge. This is how far you may go. You may go no further. This was critical in cultures where seeking revenge easily escalated and had the potential to engulf entire families and communities. Jesus, however, by his divine authority, asks his disciples to surrender any right to revenge. Evil cannot be overcome by responding with evil. When I allow the evil of another to motivate my desire for revenge, I am sharing in the very evil I am a victim of, and I have reduced myself to that person's level. I've been there. It is a dark place to be in. By not seeking revenge, I am allowing the evil perpetrated on me to consume the one responsible for the evil so that he falls deeper into the chaos and the pain he created and hopefully becomes his motivation for a conversion of heart. Whether or not that happens, what matters is the disciple not descend into and become identified with the evil he or she has been afflicted with. Then the Lord says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your heavenly Father. Jesus calls his disciples to their authentic vocation. And that's to love. But here we must remember that love is not about having warm, fuzzy feelings of well-being for the other person. I tend to doubt Jesus has any tolerance with that uniquely 21st century emotional claptrap. Love has nothing to do with our feelings. Love is the exercise of the will, 
It is a decision. It is a choice. Our naturally fallen inclination is to hate the enemy, the one who attempts to inflict harm on us. And Jesus calls us to make the choice to love that person, to manifest that love by praying for that person. Why? For several reasons. First, when I see one as the enemy, it becomes very easy to depersonalize that individual. Look at how we use language, especially when we're angry. We have all kinds of words to describe people we do not like. And if we look at all those words that we use about such people, they are efforts to reduce that person from the status of being a person to a thing. And it makes it easier to hate that individual and to encourage others to hate that individual. We especially do this when our nation is at war. During World War II, Germans weren't called Germans, they were called what? Krauts. The Japanese were not called Japanese, they were called slanty-eyed gooks. We routinely do this. We depersonalize the enemy, reducing his status as a human being to a thing, and then we can justify the hatred of a thing. But when I accept the grace to pray for that individual, I cannot escape the truth that he or she is as much a person under the sovereignty of God as I am. Second, Jesus tells us that his Father causes the Son to rise on the bad and the good, <coughs> and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, meaning that God withholds nothing of himself from us. By what right can a disciple of Jesus who freely received the saving love of the Father through the Son, refuse to love the enemy, to pray for the enemy, without incurring the scandal of gross ingratitude. Third, by making the choice to love the enemy, I begin to see an overarching truth. The enemy and I are both pitiful creatures, hopelessly lost without the divine mercy, and that the, my enemy and I shall someday together stand before the dreaded judgment seat of Christ, and my refusal to exercise the choice to love as a disciple of Jesus will only serve to condemn me. This is the radical nature of the gospel. It was radical when Jesus first preached it. It remains radical now because it does not settle for a mere change in the disciples' behavior, but rather for a complete change in how a disciple should think.